Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Andrew Machado joins us. BeaverBlitz.com covers Oregon State, was with us recently because of the game with Oregon and also just because of all that's happening with Oregon State, Washington State. More news on that again today. Angie, thanks for your time. How, uh, what is the mood uh, in Corvallis with Jonathan Smith, one of their own blood, leaving for an op- obviously a great opportunity. But what's the mood like right now? Yeah, you know, it, it's and I think Beaver fans have went from being kind of stunned and hurt to um, moving on and, and looking to, to replace it. Um, it. It's been kind of a whirlwind. And to hear some of the things coming from Coach Smith, I think some Beaver fans are, it, it's tarnishing his legacy a little bit in Corvallis and in the fact that, you know, he's now saying he, it wasn't the collapse of the Pac-12. He just wanted to move. It wasn't money. Um, so, um, yeah, there's there's some, I think, hurt feelings with players, with, with boosters, with, with the community, and it just really probably wasn't handled the best way. But, you know, now Oregon State is looking forward and, and what the best path is. Scott Barnes, the athletic director, has been moving as quickly as I've ever seen in a coaching search because, I mean, quite frankly, you got to keep a roster together with, with the portal opening up here. And uh, I expect we could see a coaching hire in the next day or two. I know that they've, you know, they're figuring out their scheduling and all that, but how much of this is, you know, trying to avoid a little chaos because there's a lot that they can't tell the next head coach or the players coming in about the next two years other than, look, we feel good about where we're going, but they can't give anybody any real answers yet. Yeah, yeah, there is some uncertainty there. Um, You know, I've heard, I have not seen a schedule, but, you know, from all intents and purposes, it's going to be, you know, Oregon State already had Purdue, Boise State, and Idaho State on the schedule. So um, what I'm hearing is one FCS school, that's your Idaho State, five Power Four, Power Five schools, and then six G5 schools, which it looks like that would be six Mountain West schools. Um, you know, it's, it's a schedule that, you know, the, the plan going into in, in place was to create a schedule that's just not full of body bag games, but to create a schedule that would have a high enough strength of schedule, but also have, have winnable games and potentially try to find your way into one of the top 12 spots for an at-large bid in the CFP. Angie, when it comes to uh, potential candidates going back to that open head coaching job, I know that Trent Bray, there's a lot of smoke about, uh, you know, an in-house uh, promotion there with uh, the Beavers defensive coordinator. Why would he make sense outside of what I just mentioned? He's already there, familiar, all of that. But uh, what are your thoughts on him as a candidate and the potential there and what that would mean, you think, for the Beavers fan base? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the players all love Trent. And, you know, he is he's another Jonathan Smith in, in a lot of ways. He was a star at Oregon State. His dad coached at Oregon State. Um, so long lineage there. Um, and he got his first coaching job with the Beavers, left to go to Nebraska and Arizona State. And um, actually, it wasn't his first job. He coached at Arizona State first. But um, he's got a long lineage. And so it's it's a, a matter of keeping that, that um, locker room together, first and foremost, I think you stop some of the weeding there and keep some of those guys in play. But um, also I think, you know, you look at Trent, so you look at numbers. So Trent came on as, as a linebacker coach um, under Tim Tibisar's defensive coordinator. Uh, under that record for Coach Smith was 14-26, and 26, a 35% winning percentage. After promoting Trent Bray to D.C., the Beavers record went to 20-9, and nine, mm. a 69% winning percentage. So, you know, I think a lot of Jonathan Smith's successes has been the addition of Trent Bray. So the coaches love him, or the players love him, the fans love him. And, you know, this was a guy that was on Jonathan's list to go with him to East Lansing. And um, I think after that Civil War loss, it was a, a reflection time of, wait, maybe I need to stay here and help my alma mater, and, and this is what I want to do. Angie, the court decision came down today from the Washington Supreme Court that um, the you know the stay, I guess the stay or whatever uh, you want to call it of the of the preliminary injunction will be upheld, and then we're now to a December twelfth date before there's more things you know argued in this case. Uh, is this what Oregon State and Washington State expected to happen? Was that Washington would win this phase of the of of the case? You know, I, I think it was always on the on the table. Of, I mean, I don't think anyone thought this would be some easy walk in the park case, but um, you know, they have to keep fighting. And and it's it's interesting because I think that whole the whole part of that case is what happens to the revenue for for the twenty three twenty four season. And I have never seen anywhere where it said where Oregon State and Washington State said they were going to keep that revenue that all twelve teams earned. It's beyond twenty twenty four that they want that revenue, which I feel they're entitled to. They're keeping the conference together and. So that's, I think, where the big fight is. And I, I, I mean, I get it. I guess since Oregon State and Washington State don't want the other 10 to have voting power to potentially dissolve the entire conference, the same goes for the other 10 who doesn't, don't feel that, you know, want Oregon State and Washington State to shut them out and keep all the revenue from this year. So what is now the next step, Angie? I, I guess there's a date right in early December that's coming up. Is that the, the next kind of, I guess, uh, mark along the, the pathway here for, for untangling all of this? Yeah, that's the next date. Um, and, and it's just a matter of whether, you know, the judge will review the, the documents. I mean, it could get played out. We, we had a, a Twitter space last night, and an attorney actually got on and, and kind of explained it all. It's, it's super complex, and I'm not even going to try to <laughs> pretend to understand all of the, the legal jargon there. But, um, you know, he said it, it really could. He laid it out that if this continues to happen, you know, different different appeals take place, it could be into February before things actually get, you know, sorted out and potentially longer depending on the appeals. Because if it goes against Oregon State, there could be more appeals. If it goes against, Washington, you know, the Washington and the 10 it could go into more appeals as well. So, um, you know, I think the best case scenario is if somehow this gets settled out of court. Um, but right now, it, it could be a long fight. Why would um, the Pac-12 be so worried that Washington State and Oregon State were just going to be like, no money, we keep it all, and not and, and just try to run with that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, when you start looking at the at the bylaws, you know, that's, I mean, that was the, the big key for the first trial that Oregon State and Washington State had was that for the preliminary injunction was, you know, there was some talk that 
uh, Commissioner Kalyakov was trying to set up a board meeting, um, and the talk was that then the 12 could dissolve the conference um, with a majority vote. So you'd have 10 against two, and that that would be devastating to Oregon State and Washington State. So that was where the prelim, preliminary injunction came in. Um, so that's you know, and, and there's precedent there because as soon as Washington, as, as USC and UCLA said they were leaving over a year ago, they were removed as voting members from the board. As soon as Colorado announced they were leaving, they were removed for, as voting members from the board. So you know, Oregon State and Washington State's argument is, okay, as soon as all the other the other eight or nine gave notice, they are no longer voting members of the board. And so I, I think the worry there is if they're no longer voting on the board, then Oregon State and Washington State could theoretically say, you don't have a say anymore. The revenues that are coming in this year, we're splitting to cover our costs. What is the feeling right now as, as far as uh, playing Oregon uh, next year and, and renewing that rivalry like we've already seen with the Apple Cup and the announcement last week that those uh, two teams, Washington and Washington State, were going to continue playing? Yeah, I, I think it happens. I, I think Beaver fans, as a, as a general feel, are – they don't really want to play Oregon unless they are part of a power four conference um, just because of, you know, they feel that it's not quite fair um, from a revenue standpoint and, and, you know, an on-field standpoint. However, um, there is the the process again, if you're trying to strength of schedule, get yourself to potentially a CFP, you need a strength of schedule. And so that makes sense to to play in Oregon, to play, you know, some of these power four teams. Um, and I think the only way that happens is if Oregon will agree to a home-and-home and, home and not always in, in Austin, Eugene. Angie, does the coaching change make a difference on whether DJ Ugalele comes back for another year, or is that something that I missed the story that he would be moving on? Is he coming back no matter what? No, he, no. I mean, he's. I think I think the, the plan going forward was one year at Oregon State. Now, he okay. does have another year, um, and I think that's kind of up for however, you know, he'll, he'll submit – to the NFL and get his sure. kind of projection. Um, I, the, the plan is, and, and, you know, his dad has been on social media and said he's been fielding calls from NFL teams. So okay. I think the thought process there, there is that he will go to the league. Now he does have a couple options because he is a graduate. He could grad transfer uh, to a third, you know, a third, third transfer or a third team. Huh. He could stay at Oregon state for, for his last year, or like I said, declare for the draft. Angie, uh, your thoughts on the, the season Damian Martinez had. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of it right now is all about change, but uh, just in terms of what you saw from the young man from Texas, uh, I'm just curious uh, of your thoughts on, on the total, I guess, uh, totality of what he was able to do this year. Yeah, he's, um, you know, just he continues to, to show that he is a, a strength and, and can run. I, I think last year was kind of his coming out that maybe he surprised some people. This year he was not a surprise. So, um He's a strong runner, and uh, he's really kind of the backbone of, of this team going forward. So um, he's, you know, getting better at pass blocking. I wouldn't say that is his strength by any means, but um, no, he he's and he's actually come out and said if Trent Bray is hired, he's sticking around. So um, that's that was a, a big announcement as well. What a what a run the last four months, five months, six months for Oregon State athletics. My goodness, with all the changes and then having the great run and then what appeared to be a chance to play in the championship game. And then, of course, things with uh, Jonathan Smith. Uh, Angie, it's been great to have you on, and we'll always come to you when it comes to Oregon State football. We really appreciate the insight. Thank you. Hey, absolutely. Thanks so much, you guys. Angie Machado covers Oregon State with a lot of great insight 
on how about Jonathan Smith leaves and maybe says a few things, people are a little bit bitter anyway. Uh, and then maybe a couple of things he says, it could be taken the wrong way. That happens a lot of times. Coach, you love him. And then all of a sudden, a lot of people don't like a coach when they leave, no matter what the reason is anyway. This has been a Rogue Media Network 